He's there. He's everywhere. God, there's nowhere we can go from his presence. And um, <clears throat> yet we still run. <laughs> Running away from things is in our DNA. It's in, I'm, I run away from things. I was thinking about um, seeing it in my kids as well, that they run away. And my son Elijah, when he was three years old, here he is. Well, yeah, it's so cute, right? Um, he would run away from me. And it always came down to three different reasons. Number one, he's launching Hot Wheels cars at his sister. Um, and I've asked him to stop. So he's doing something bad. And he knows he needs to stop and he doesn't want to stop, right? That's the number one reason. Uh, number two, I've asked him to clean up his Lego. And he doesn't want to do it. So I've asked him to do something good and he's not doing it. So number one, he's doing something bad and I want him to stop. No, so he runs. I'm asking him to do something good and he doesn't do it. No, so he runs. Or there's this one. Is I just want him to come to me. Because um, I want to give him a hug, right? You want to give that kid a hug, right? <laughs> but he assumes that um, there's something else going on there, that maybe I'm going to tickle him. <coughs> Not going to tickle you. Um, tickle him or tell him off or something like that. And he's just unsure about how this thing's going to go. And like, I remember just <laughs> calling him and him looking at me and you see it ticking over slowly in his little three-year-old mind. Do I run? Do I go to him? And he runs. And these little chubby three-year-old legs running down the passage to get away from me. And it's ridiculous, right? Because number one, he's too short to reach the door handles. Um, and I'm going to find him and I'm going to catch him. He can't run away. Um, that was when he was three. Now he's 10 and he can get away from me. Um, <laughs> It's a different dynamic now. Um, but it's kind of ridiculous, like this kid running away, right? Um, but we tend to do the same thing with God. We're running away from him. And why do we run? It's the same reasons that um, maybe we don't want to stop doing the thing that we're doing. And if that's launching Hot Wheels cars at your sister, you really need to stop that. But like doing things that we know are wrong and we know they're not helpful for us and healthy or helpful for the people around us, but we don't want to stop. And so we run. Or he's asked us to do something good. Like, God has amazing things for us to do and good works that he wants us to walk into and we don't want to do it because it's too hard or too scary or it's going to cost us our reputation or cost us all kinds of things. And so we run from them. Well, then there's that third one. Then maybe you're scared of what God will do if you just come to him. Because you're unsure of him. Like he's an unknown to you. Like, will he be mad? Will he put me in time out? Will he embrace me? And so we run. The problem with running is that we, we tend to run into trouble. Um, we're looking at uh, Jonah, this little book, um, just back from the New Testament uh, over the next few weeks. Um, and Jonah, it's a tightly written little story um, that's about all kinds of different things. And it's an awkward and super embarrassing story. And I think it's amazing that Jonah actually wrote it all down and let us know his worst most embarrassing moments ever. And it 
this guy who should have known better and just stuffs up enormously. And it's just cringeworthy the more you dig into it, and it's awesome. <laughs> but um, if we're honest enough, we're going to see ourselves in it. I'm going to pray now that we will, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, um, that it's written for our benefit to see you and how you work, and it also reveals us and how we are. And we pray that you will show us your goodness and grace in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Let me read for you. Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Um, Nineveh, it's now um, part of the city of Mosul in modern-day Iraq. You might have heard about it. Back then, it was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and it was actually the biggest city in the world for a time. Really impressive place, but in God's assessment, what does he say? Evil. Evil. And deserving judgment, warning and judgment. And in Jonah's assessment, it's the enemy. Go warn the enemy? And Jonah has a couple of reasons, seem decent reasons, decent reasons for not wanting to just go to Nineveh and tell them what God has told him to do. Um, he's reluctant because that, it's not just next door. It's a long and it's a dangerous journey over land. If you were to do it today in a car, 15 hours nonstop driving through Israel and Jordan and Iraq, if you wanted to avoid Syria as well. Dangerous place to go to, dangerous place to get to. And he's also angry because he wants God to bring justice against Nineveh. Like, this is the enemy who's been causing him all kinds of problems. He doesn't want him to give him a second chance. So what does he do? Verse 3, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So Tarshish is in the other direction from Nineveh, like somewhere up, somewhere up the west end of the Mediterranean Sea somewhere. It's like being asked to go to Sydney and saying, nope, I'm going to Perth. Um, he's running away from what God has called him to do. Um, But he's not just saying, no, God, I'm not going to do it. This action of his is him saying, I'm not going to do it, and I don't ever want to be in a position where you ever ask me that again. What does it say? He's running away from the presence of the Lord. He's running away from God. Which is what we do. Sometimes we do it deliberately, sometimes it's subconscious, but we put as much distance and as much noise and distraction between us and the voice of God calling us. We run the other way. But the problem is that when you're running away, you tend to run into trouble. Let's see how it plays out for Jonah. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest storm on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah 
had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Do you get this picture, right, of the Lord standing above everything that's going on? Here's Jonah running off to Tarshish. And he just reaches out and throws a storm at him and at this little ship. And there's all these sailors uh, on deck just scurrying around furiously, bailing out water and tying down sails and throwing cargo overboard. And it's just chaos up the top, right? Chaos. And then go down into the inner of the ship, into the hold. Focus in on there. And here is Jonah hiding away, hiding in amongst all these firm wooden beams. It's all cozy and warm, bales of grain just to curl up on. Solid and cozy little world. Can't see what's going on out there. Oblivious to the fact that this cozy world is in a storm and it's seconds away from going under. Which is what we do. We construct this world around us, this cozy world of cargo and things that will make us feel like the storm isn't going to get us, that we're safe. And we're just asleep in this cozy little cargo bay we've made. But this cozy stuff is dangerous. You go back up to the deck, right? The the sailors, they are throwing the cargo into the sea. The whole purpose of their voyage, of them being on the sea, is they are going to Tarshish, and they are taking produce with them, like everything from the land of milk and honey, and they're carrying it as cargo all the way back to Tarshish, and they're going to sell it there, and in Tarshish, they're going to get gold and peacocks, that's what they had there, and, and baboons, and they bring them back, and then they trade them, and they're making money, right? Cargo is money, cargo is life for them, but now... Their whole purpose is flipped. Their purpose is just survive, guys. Just survive. Throw it all out. And so they're throwing all the cargo overboard. It's way less important now. How quickly our priorities change when we realize that we're in trouble. Those things that we thought were so important that were going to keep us safe. No way. So if we're running away and we're asleep in the hold like this, and we're just becoming aware of the danger, what, what should we do? What should we do? Verse 6. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. The first thing to do is to wake up. Wake up to reality. Awake, rise up, call out to your God. The captain is saying to Jonah, we are in trouble and there's nothing that we, we're trying to do everything we can, but we can't. We need to call on something way bigger than we have a handle on to help us in this situation because we are going down. Do you need to do the same thing? Do you need the same thing? Someone calling out to you, awake, oh sleeper. (laughs) What are you doing asleep in the middle of this storm? You need help. You need someone bigger than you can imagine to to help you in what you are about to face. Wake up to the realization that the only way out is if God intervenes. Wake up to the reality of that. 
And the second thing to do is to stop running because the truth will always catch up with you. Verse 7, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So here are these sailors, they're sliding around on this slippery deck, and um, each they're grasping this long, soggy straw, um, looking to see who they can blame, right? Because there's nothing else they can do. Who can, we, who can we blame? Where does this end? Who did this? And then God gives Jonah the short straw. This sleepy prophet, he's just been slapped in the face by the, the wind and the spray, is now getting slapped in the face with the truth of it. You can't run away from God. You can't hide from him. God will always catch up to you. And now the sailors can see it. And now they are full of questions for Jonah. Verse 8. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What, what is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? They're desperate for answers because they've got none. They've got none, right? And Jonah, God's chosen one, his prophet, he had the answers. And they needed to hear them. So imagine you're in the boat there with Jonah. What are you going to say to him in that moment? It's like, Jonah, this is it. This is the mo- You can't run anymore. You know it. They know it. You're in so much trouble right now. And this is the time to stop running. And you can tell these people that there is a God and he's the one you've got to call out to, right? Because you're killing yourself. Literally. And you're taking them down with you. And that's what I want to say if I was there. But then how much of that advice should I take on myself? Should we take on ourselves? But running away, just killing ourselves doing that. And how it's hurting the people around us. Verse 9. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. The men, they fear when Jonah answers them. Um, Jonah, he says he fears the Lord, but I don't know that he is at this moment. He says it, but he's still running. He's got the chance to stop running right here, and he doesn't. Just stubbornly running on. Verse 11. They said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. God's still throwing this at them. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will be quietened down for you, for I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And I have so many questions for Jonah now. (laughs) Like, think about this. What was Jonah hoping for when he said this? He didn't know what was down there. 
he didn't know that there was going to be something that saves him. Like, we've heard this story. Many of us have heard this story, and you know something's coming up. You have to come back next week to find out what that is down there that's going to... But there's something... He didn't know that God was going to save him like that, right? So it's not like him saying, okay, just do the thing because we'll be fine. We'll be fine. Something darker, I think, is going on here. And these are my questions for Jonah. Was he just resigning himself to the thought that he was too far gone? Was he really trusting that God would save him? Or was he making one last-ditch effort to get out of his initial task? Like, this is it. I never have to go to Nineveh now. Well, did, he, did he have it right when he said, throw him over? Or was he trying to force God's hand in this moment? And was he still on the run at this point? What if he just said, God, you got me? Because we know, Jonah knows, that God is slow to anger and quick to show mercy. But there, at the end of the chase... In the middle of the storm, he's got nowhere to turn to but to God. Surely the correct response right there is to fall to your knees. But Jonah, he's falling on his sword. And some people, some people might feel like they're too far gone. That their reason for running from God is they're not sure of him. Because they've said something bad to God or done something bad or been so rebellious to him that they feel like there's no room left for mercy. There's, they're done. And maybe you feel like that. Like you're here today and you're thinking, well, I'm happy for all of you to follow Jesus. That's great, but I've done stuff that it's too much to come back from. I'm happy for you, but there's no hope for me. And so you've locked yourself into this self-destructive path. Not sure that you've got it in you to make peace with God. And so you resign yourself to just one day being thrown overboard into oblivion. And I tell you, God is not like that. No matter how much you've stuffed up. No matter how rebellious you've been, no matter how much you keep on running, you cannot outrun God. And the way out isn't by jumping ship, but it's by getting to your knees and letting him take hold of you and hold you and carry you back. But we keep on running and Jonah's not the only one who's still running. Verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. They're rowing. It's like running. But it's a ridiculous picture, right? That God, he's just thrown this storm, and now he's thrown it bigger and bigger, and they've got these oars, and they're dipping it into this massive sea that's just churning, and they're just hoping that each stroke, um, at least I'm doing something, and this will get us back to safety. It's ridiculous. It's not going to do it, right? The storm's only getting bigger. 
And they're still trying to row rather than face up to the Lord. And maybe you're feeling that right now. Like you know that the Lord is calling you and you can, you can see the waves of life getting bigger and bigger, but you just keep on grabbing hold of this oar and rowing, digging deeper into these waves that are getting bigger and they're constantly moving and pitching and just swamping you and you're getting nowhere and you're taking on water. But you keep running, keep rowing. So what do you do when you do finally stop running away from God? Well, you run to God. And the ones that run to God are surprising here because it's the sailors who end up crying out to the Lord, fearing him and begging for forgiveness. Verse 14. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Like, just like that. You picture it, right? These men, like just seconds before, they were frenetic. They were just racing around and forced by the situation they were in to feel like throwing a man to his death was the only way out. They felt compelled to call out to a God that they didn't No, they were desperate, right? And now the sea is still. You see them there on deck. They're dripping wet and they're shivering because they're covered in cold water, but they're shivering because they have just realized something. That this God, the God of the sea and the dry land, has heard them. And he's done something about it. And they're floating on this calm sea, this immense, ominously peaceful sea. And they realize that they are now in the hands of a God who can hear them, who does hear them. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. They get it. Jonah said, I fear the Lord. They, they fear the Lord. (laughs) He can do this and he can hear them and he will respond with mercy. Amazing, right? Thank God that he runs further than we can. Like he, he followed Jonah halfway to Tarsh. He's not done with Jonah. And in the middle of that, he found a way to save these sailors in the storm. How far is he going to run for you? I want to revisit the sailors' prayer because there are, there's some fascinating weight to their words, to what they say. Verse 14, O Lord, let us not perish for this innocent man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, 
have done as it pleased you. This is how God runs further than we ever could. This is awesome. So Jonah's life, thrown overboard, his life was sacrificed for many, but it was for his own sin. He was the one that got them in that situation. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sacrificed his life for many. But he did it without sin, and he did it for our sin. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived as one of us, sat alongside us in our fear and uncertainty. He experienced the storms of life. He literally sat in the boat, in the storms. Hebrews says he has felt everything we will feel feel, and come up against all the struggles we have and we will. But he did it all without sin. He did it all without running away from God or what God had called him to do. He did it all without any uncertainty about who God is and how good God is. And then this man, Jesus Christ, whose arteries course with innocent blood, he goes to the cross and he died, spilling that innocent blood for our sakes. And now his innocent blood covers the sin, covers the constant running away we do. And for all those who actually stop running from God and run to him instead, that blood covers us. Jesus' blood was, his innocent blood was laid on us. And our sins were laid on him. For this pleased the Lord. Amen? And if If Jesus Christ has run that far for you, then you can trust him. No matter what he's asking you to do, no matter how unsure you are, you can trust him. I want to finish um, with this surprising verse from Isaiah. So Isaiah, looking at how God works in the world and what he is going to do and Um, Near the end of Isaiah, looking towards this future glory, Isaiah 60 verse 9, talking about the future glory of Israel when Jesus Christ actually fulfills everything and it's this picture of heaven and it says this, for the coastlands shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them, everything they have with them. For the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because He has made you beautiful. This is a snapshot of God's plans for all the nations. That they they will all come, every nation and tribe and tongue will come to worship and bring tribute to the King of Zion, the Holy One of Israel, Jesus Christ. And this is awesome, that among them... The first among them are the ships of Tarshish that he reached through Jonah, bringing these beleaguered sailors out of the storm and out of fear and out of the dark and into the everlasting light of the Lord. And their days of running come to an end. I want you to feel it with them, right? not running anymore, not hiding, 
not fitfully sleeping in the hold, not fearful anymore, not throwing everything overboard, not drawing a short straw or worried about this predicament they're in and the horrific things they'll need to do to get themselves out of it, but rejoicing with the Holy One of Israel forever because they stopped running and let him take over. And you know this is not just about ancient sailors, that this is about us today, people today stuck in storms, running away and we're fearful and we're unsure and we are in the same mess that they were in. We're the same, but God is still the same. We need to stop running from God and run to him. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, and this is the word of the Lord that has come to you. The time is now, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. That means stop running. Turn around. Run to him. That's repent. And believe in the gospel. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Because he is the last one you ever want to run from. One, because you can't. And one, because you shouldn't want to. (laughs) He's everything we need. And he will embrace us with his love. He's shown it to us through Jesus. And he'll show it to us again and again. And none of us are too far from that. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, um, it's astonishing that we would have this testimony in the Bible from Jonah because it really is embarrassing for him. But it's our story too. Um, We run. Some of us are still running and terrified to stop running. God, please reach, reach us, reach every one of us, that we would stop and turn to you and feel your embrace and love. We thank you for the innocent blood of Jesus poured out for us, that there is nothing we should fear. We should fear you, but we should not fear that you will harm us, that you love us completely. Thank you that you will always outrun us. In Jesus' name, amen.